Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Shalom is not an absence of external circumstances. If the Jews would have realized one thing, they learned it in the Old Testament, they saw their forefathers go through it, that the lack of peace comes through a disconnection from God. And so in the Old Testament, we see where the Assyrians come in and they take out Israel, the 10 northern tribes. Then later on in 586 BC, the Babylonians come in and they destroy Jerusalem. They take them, why? Why? Why did that happen? Because of their rebellion and their rejection of God. They wanted somebody to deliver them from Rome, but they didn't want to bow to the will of God. If you would have only known today what makes for your peace. That's why you can't use Jesus as some genie in a bottle. True shalom comes with reconnecting with God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's where true peace comes from. So if you think a bigger paycheck is going to bring you peace, if you're out there and you're thinking, man, I struggle, man. My heart is never, there's, it's always just settled, but I know when I find a wife. I'm here to tell you that won't give you peace. (laughs) And she'll tell you the same. We have no problem saying that our peace comes from God. First and foremost, connected to him. Then we have shalom with one another. You see, so often we want, God, heal me. Heal me. And I've seen people healed before where they run off and they rebel against God. And two years down the road, they have this unsettledness in their heart. It doesn't come from any of that. Jesus was coming in as the Prince of Peace to bring them peace. And he weeps because they missed the boat. Like so many people miss the boat today. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 37, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? John 1 Verses 9 to 11 speaks of, in the beginning was the Word. First verse, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then goes on to say in verses 9 to 11, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And it's sad because, listen to me, the sad thing is Jesus' next statement. 
These things are now hidden from your eyes. That their rejection led to a judicial hardening. We often read in, in Exodus, people want to say, man, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? In some scriptures it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Other scriptures said God hardened his heart. Both. The scriptures are absolutely accurate because he was set in his heart. And God added his blessing to his hardness, if you will, and hardened and hardened and hardened it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Because you have to understand that these people that are crying right now, that are saying, praise the king in fulfillment of Psalm 118. And all the scriptures surrounding it, God didn't even make it hazy. If anyone should have recognized the day of their visitation, it should have been the Jews because they had the holy scriptures. They had the oracles of the prophets. And as Jesus said, the prophets came to you, but you killed them. You didn't want to hear the message from me. You didn't want to hear the word of God. You wanted me to be the genie in the bottle. You wanted me to do for you. You wanted to be king and I at me the servant. They didn't recognize the day of the, his visitation. Do not continue to push God away lest you fall under the judgment of a judicial hardening. I've seen people, I don't know if their eyes are going to be able, I, I don't put God in a box. But when I read scriptures like this and I see where these things are hardened in Luke Gospels, we see where Jesus taught that he was going to be crucified. That all this was going to take place. But it was in response. Jesus' tears God's heart breaks when people reject him. When people reject him, God doesn't take pleasure in any of that. And really, we see where Jesus weeps over their rejection. But Jeremiah did the same thing because Jeremiah had God all over him. And even though he was a prophet of God and he was preaching the gospel, he never compromised. But he was also known as the weeping prophet because in Jeremiah 9 verse 1, it says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. Jeremiah knew what was coming. And there was no self-righteousness in him to say they deserve that judgment. He wept and he cried. He spoke exactly what God wanted him to do, but it broke his heart. When people reject God, we should be weeping over that. Our hearts should be breaking when we see people rejecting Christ. I had a friend that I grew up with, and he was sharing with me one time. He had become a, a Christian, and then when I became a Christian, he shared with me that his father was on his deathbed. And he said, I shared the gospel with him over and over again, and he said it even made sense with him. It even made sense to him, and, and he understood it. He grabbed it. He understood he was a sinner and everything else, but he said, I don't want anything to do with God. And then when he was on his deathbed, he said, Walter, it was the most tragic thing you'd ever seen in your life. He said, I cried because my dad's getting ready to graduate into eternity. And he said, I came to him one more time with the gospel. He was conscious. He could barely talk. And I shared with him Christ, and he said, get out of here. 
I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And he wept. You know who doesn't weep over the lost? You know who doesn't weep over the lost? Those who don't believe in an eternal damnation for those who reject him. That's who weeps. Jesus weeps over their destruction. Look at verses 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave you one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, they continued to reject God, and that's why judgment came to them in the past. And this is so significant because this was fulfilled to a T. The Romans in 66 AD, they surrounded Jerusalem under the Roman general Titus, and they surrounded him, and they sieged the city just like Jesus said they would. And that's how Rome did things, and that's how armies did things. They would surround the city because you had to cut off their food supply. You had to cut off their water. You had to cut off anything that they could survive on until the walls were penetrated. In 66 AD, about 40 years after Jesus spoke these words, Rome goes in, and they do that. They besiege Jerusalem, and then in 70 AD, they take down the temple. They destroy the, the houses. We've seen the ruins of that. When we go to Israel, there's called the burnt houses. And you go down to what was street level back then. And you see the actual destruction that the Romans heaped upon the Jewish people. And it happened just like Jesus said. He's weeping. But understand that God takes no pleasure when the unrighteous die. Those who reject him, when they die... Here's what Ezekiel 18.32 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. In Ezekiel 33.11 it says, Say to them as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? That's God's heart. He doesn't take pleasure in this. How many, it's more like parents. How many parents have wept over the decisions of their children? You, you raise them in your house. You raise them in the things of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, one day, they make this decision to walk away from the Lord. Your heart breaks from that. And, and that's exactly what happens with God. His heart breaks for those who reject him. When Jesus and his disciples were going through Samaria... They rejected Jesus, and here they are on tour, and they're going from Galilee, and they go through Samaria, and because the Samaritans rejected him, James and John wanted to call down fire on him and kill him. Here's what it says in Luke 9, 54 to 55, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they saw the rejection of Jesus, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And what does it say? But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them. See, we want to call fire down on heaven a lot of times, huh? We want our enemies consumed, right? Hey, I've got a direct line to God. You want to mess with me? You're going to burn. That isn't the heart of Jesus. That isn't God's heart for the president. That isn't God's heart for the vice president. That isn't God's heart for the senators and, 
And as angry as you can be at the decisions that are being made and the poisoning of our kids, there's nothing wrong with bringing that out. But many of you have refused to pray for them. Many of you will not weep over them like Jeremiah did. Many of you will not weep over them as Jesus did. We just want fire to come down. Oh, Lord, I want to be watching Fox or CNN one day, and then I want to see fire come down in the house. Jesus rebuked his disciples. He rebuked them because that's the heart of God. Think about yourself for a moment. You think you were so pristine and lily white. I know I wasn't. And God saved me. Why? His mercy. And God saved you. And transformed you from a sinner to a saint. And now we get on our self-righteous horse instead of riding in on a donkey and weeping. I get upset as anybody when I see what's happening throughout the country, but man, getting into that argument and going into that stew of anger, I'm not going to throw ingredients in there. Man, if Jesus comes back, do you realize that a lot of those people that are drunk on power, that are in it for their own reputations, that have their own security, that they will spend eternity in hell? There's no question about that. We know what the Bible says. But our hearts are not moved. Our hearts are not moved. They're not. We need to take notes from Jesus. He didn't give in to their politics or anything else. He was there on a mission. And it was God's mission. And so is his church today. If we're going to call out the lies of our culture and call people out, we need to be weeping over them. And if you disagree with that, show me in the scripture. When I look at the triumphal entry, a couple of things come to mind to me as far as for you and me. One, God's plans never fail. They're always fulfilled. This, this is an amazing thing when you think of the sovereignty of his triumphal entry, you also have to see the sovereignty in his death. And the reason I bring that up is because it's easy to see God's sovereignty in something like the triumphal entry when everybody's praising Jesus. But it's a little bit more difficult to see his sovereignty when he goes on trial and he's railroaded for stuff he didn't do. And all of a sudden a mob scene gathers and this thing looks totally out of control from every area from a human point of view, we see that, man, what's going on? Is this just 
things going bad for a good guy, or what's happening here in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And everything that happened with Jesus' triumphal entry all the way to his death was the sovereign hand of God Almighty. Jesus taught them that this, in fact, would happen. In Luke chapter 18, a chapter before this in verses 31 to 34, it says, In taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now watch this, verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. You know why? They were blinded by their own perception of the Messiah. How can a crucified Messiah be a Messiah at all? And so then we move into the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 25 to 28. And it says, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That wasn't an out-of-control scene at the crucifixion. God was in complete control, and it happened according to his sovereign hand. So here's what I want you to do, is I want you to take encouragement today that God's plans for you aren't going to fail. They're going to be fulfilled. They're going to be fulfilled. Now, watch. I, I find myself going to Google a lot, right? Google Maps. Now that we have access to that, whenever I get an address, I type it in and I can see it on the map. And one of the interesting things about Google Maps is you got a little man. He's like a little icon. You can drag it over to the address and it shows you the street level. How many have ever done that before? Shows you the street level, right? You can drag it there. And then you see the surrounding area there and everything else. But then if you, have you ever clicked minus, you know, the subtraction button and you continue to zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out until you can see the whole earth? I like both features. But too often you and I live our lives as the little guy icon. We just see things at street level and we lose the big picture. God has the big picture. So it doesn't matter how out of control things may appear. It doesn't matter how bad things get. His plans will be fulfilled. In fact, it's all part of the process. That's what it means for me today. Anything that comes to me in this life has to go through God first. I just need to live in obedience to him as Jesus did. Jesus knew what was coming upon him, right? And half the crowd there, they were probably walking away. You know, they were devastated. They were depressed. And here they are. They're living in fear, right? And Jesus told them, he said, look, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again at the crucifixion. They just all run away. None of them are there to be found. They didn't embrace it. They ran from it. 
And just because we go through suffering a little bit in this world does not mean that God is not fulfilling his plans in your life. That's prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel says that if you're in God's will, you will never suffer. Really? Did you ever look at the apostle Paul? Did you ever look at the disciples? My goodness. And people want to say, as a child of God, I'm not, and this is why Paul writes things like in Romans 8, 18, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Amen. That's what he says. So understand this, that God is sovereign from beginning to end. His plans will be fulfilled in my life. I can live with a confidence that no matter what happens, I know that God has my best interest at heart. Amen? God's plans in my life include the good, the bad, and what? The good, the bad, and the what? That's why I love lemonade, right? There's nothing better than an ice-cold glass of lemonade on a hot Imperial Valley August day, right? Man, you drink it, but I hate lemons, man. They make my face pucker and everything else, and I just want to, you put it in your mouth and stuff, but you squeeze it out, and you get it into the jar there, and you put a little bit of sugar, and my, my, those lemons taste good. And that's what God's doing in your life right now. He's taking your life, and he's moving from lemons to lemonade. So when you get squeezed, sugar comes out. It is sweet as can be. Now, the last thing I'm going to say about this is, right, we know, right, when we look at the triumphal entry, we see that God's sovereign even to the death, resurrection, all that stuff, that his writing into Jerusalem speaks of his sovereignty, meaning that he is in absolute control. He has all power. Which means that his plans will never fail, they're always fulfilled. But here's the second thing. Rejection of Jesus leads to destruction. Listen to Matthew 7, 13 of Jesus' words. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security... Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Then 2 Peter 3, 7 says, But by the same word that the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. God's desire for you is to be saved. If you're here and you continue to reject Jesus, he weeps for you. He weeps of your rejection for him, and he weeps of your upcoming destruction. God desires for you to be saved, and he takes no pleasure in your perishing. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, speaking about praying 
for all those in authority and all men everywhere, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Know that about God. He is desiring that none should perish, but all would come to repentance, but some are going to perish. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.